What a beautiful week, and what a precious time in the Word. I, Warren and I, a couple of times this week, as we've just like passed the mic off, have just said something to the extent of part two's coming, or uh, I'm going to say the same thing. I mean, just like, it, 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 I don't know, it should never really amaze us anymore, but this is part two, and none of you, if you were listening, you will not disagree that this is part two. If you think it's like something different, it's because you did not hear what Warren said. Um, it's absolutely cohesive. We'll get to that in a minute. I do just want to say a special thank you once again to all of you for your love, for your invitations to your campsite for meals, um, for the amazing food. I won't say where we ate last night, but there were seven types of meat. Like, wow. I mean, where do you go and get seven types of meat, even if you're looking for a restaurant with that? I think Brazilian steakhouses might fall short of where we ate last night. So uh, just thank you for your love. And, uh, you know, going back from last year, it's been a precious two years with you. And just know that we are changed um, based on our time with you all. Um, Just as a little side note, uh, we ran out of books yesterday. I brought the last ones I have. I don't want to take them back to the eastern coast of the United States. Um, please just take a copy if you'll use it for discipleship. Um, take a copy and, and do it with a young person around you. Or it doesn't have to be a young person. It can be an old person. But somebody who desires to walk with Christ. Use them for his glory. Pass them out. Whatever. Um, but again, uh, just only if they will be used. Don't take them if they're just going to sit in a bookshelf somewhere. Um, Let someone else have them. With that being said, let's turn in our Bibles one final time to the story of Elisha, 2 Kings chapter 13. In turning to this passage, uh, this is one of the most dramatic endings to a life. The final words of Elisha, other than the the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is finished. Of course, those aren't his final words, but before he gave up his spirit, the final words of Elisha may be, and I certainly leave this up to opinion, but may be the most sobering in Scripture. And I'm going to suggest that many of you will agree with me after we're done with this brief time. They're not, they're not fun words to hear. We're going to get to them. I also find it interesting, and uh, I have a lot of friends who adopt a mentality that all sickness is, <laughs> is uh, let's say, not of God, and he always wants us healed physically. Well, I find it very interesting that we're going to start out with a phrase saying Elisha was sick with the sickness with which he was about to die. I find it very fascinating that a man of God who was used to heal so many lives, even from the dead onward, dies of a sickness. It's not a very dramatic death in that sense. He dies from being sick. And you know what this just brings me to is it doesn't matter how great our life might be. Even in the light of eternity, our life is short. And you know, uh, this is, like I said, my second year, and uh, you know, the Lord knows I might be like a Steve Price and, and come and attend this conference as it's incredibly refreshing, and I'd love to do so. But the, the, the real possibility is that there will be faces I'm looking at right now, I'll never see you again on this side of heaven, or on this side of eternity if you're not saved. 
But the fact of the matter is we're all on a timeline. We're not here this, that long. And I want you to take very seriously the things that you've absorbed this week. Because like you've already learned of my 30-year-old, 27-year-old, 6-year-old, and 37-year-old friends in the last three months, eternity comes calling when you least expect it. So with that being said, let's read this passage and let's take to heart three final lessons in the will of the Lord, three final lessons from the life of Elisha pertaining to faithful living. And in, in reality, this is the, the, the final, uh, let's say, heart uh, throb, heart, just like desire of Elisha for the people of God. Verse 14, now when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And Elisha said to him, take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, draw the bow. And he drew it. And Elisha laid his hand on the king's hands. And he said, open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria, for you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end of them. And he said, take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. And he struck three times and stopped. Then the man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. So Elisha died and they buried him. Father, this is your word and... I know you have things to say to us. I pray that we would have ears to hear and a heart to obey as we leave Yosemite. Lord, glorify your name, and if I say anything not guided by your spirit, please, in your mercy, just wipe it from our minds. We pray this all in that precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. What we would love to do during this brief time is just see three quick lessons, three quick lessons and with these lessons, I would, I would like to give you a question to ask yourself. So, three lessons and a question to go with the lessons. And these are questions for us to meditate on as we leave this conference. So, please take the time to meditate on these questions in the light of your own life. So, again, we have the introduction here, Elisha is sick. Now, just like the pattern... Rest of his life, Elisha doesn't go to the king. Elisha's not big on going to dignitaries. Dignitaries come to him. So just like the rest of his life, we have the king, King Joash, coming 
to Elisha, I, I would assume possibly um, even his bedside. So Joash the king went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And that's another, it's a beautiful phrase that's come up multiple times, hasn't it? We, we saw it back in chapter 2 when Elijah was taken up from him. We saw it later on in chapter 6 when Elisha prays that the eyes of his servant would be open. And we see the chariots, the horsemen of Israel. Uh, but then, look what Elisha says to the king. He says, take a bow and arrows, and then we're going to see this whole process that's going to fall forward. Uh, the first thing that we want to notice in relation to faithfulness in our lives is something that King Joash actually demonstrates, but the life of Elisha provokes, and that is this. There is an importance of seizing the moment. Now, I want you to think about this because it's not just a, a, some kind of psychological lesson of seizing the moment or carpe diem. That, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that every day of our life, the Lord very specifically places opportunities in front of us. And, and I find that it's interesting that we can see life in block format rather than moment format. And, and I'll explain what I mean. I think a wicked sin, and uh, please listen, if you're a college student or a high school student, this definitely is for you. And I would assume it's for almost everyone here. I'm about to say something you may never have heard of from a pulpit. Maybe. There is no pulpit. I mean, there's that. But you're going to hear it either way. I think a wicked sin that's infiltrated the church is procrastination. Procrastination. Have you ever thought of procrastination in your college life as wickedness? Probably not. And you're probably like, I want to shut you off right now, and I don't want to listen because this is a key part of my life. Well, if you want to follow the Lord Jesus, let me tell you something about procrastination. Procrastination is pure, unadulterated pride. Why? Because what you're saying is God has nothing more important for me to do in the future than what I should already get done right now. God's got nothing bigger, nothing for his purpose, Nothing in the light of eternity, nothing in the light of souls. So therefore, I can waste my time right now on getting past level 57 of a dumb video game that will not be in God's eternal home. I know you're like, you're being too like poignant. No, no, I'm not actually. I'm not being poignant enough. I love you enough to say these things. And I'll get my papers done later or whatnot because frankly, I'm just a college student. That applies to people at work. It, uh, Hang on a second. Is that true? Are you really just existing for your pleasure? No, you have purpose. And you're for God's pleasure. And procrastination is an evidence of a wicked heart. Now let me just encourage you all. If it encourages you, it kind of makes me sad. I'm actually speaking to myself. And you just happen to be listening. So if your toes got stepped on, Nate Bramson did not step on your toes. The Holy Spirit stepped on all of ours. So with that being said, we've got to seize the moment. Well, with Joash, what do we see here? We see Elisha's about to die. We see there's a moment that's fleeting. 
Yeah, if he doesn't seize the opportunity in this moment, well, the moment's no longer going to be available. And so we see him seize the moment. Well, I want to ask you a question with this first point. Are we awake to the opportunities of the moment? Or are we apathetic due to the lukewarmness of our surroundings? Are we awake to the opportunity of the moment? Or are we apathetic due to the lukewarmness of our surroundings? You know what I find oftentimes in my life, and you might find a similarity. I find oftentimes I compare my life in Christ to how well I'm doing in comparison to someone else. I don't do that intentionally. It's not like I sit down to think, okay, let me just compare myself to war. And like, no, that, it never happens intentionally. But oftentimes I gauge obedience based on what I'm seeing. Let me, let me ask you, since when are any of you my example? My example is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I am comparing myself to you already, I'm in the wrong. Because what can I guarantee myself? If I'm comparing myself to you, here's the guarantee. The guarantee is I have taken my eyes off of Jesus Christ. Guarantee. So does the lukewarmness of my surroundings somehow gauge my obedience in the moment? What should my aim be? I would suggest 2 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10. That I will appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give account of the works done in the body, whether good or, or whether worthless. So let me challenge my own heart and you simultaneously and ask, on what am I focusing? Seize the moment. But then there's another thing. It's not just to seize the moment. What's the first thing Elisha says? Take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, draw the bow. And he drew it. And Elisha laid his hand on the king's hands. And he said, open the window eastward. And he opened it. Now, we'll say a few things about that, but I want you to see the second point. First thing is seize the moment. The second thing is to see the victory. To see the victory. We've got to see the victory. Now, we'll, we'll, we'll explain that in a minute, but I wonder, this is the question I want to ask. Are we staring at a wall when God wants us to open a window? Pause for a second here. Go back a few days. Digging ditches. Oftentimes, I think we can become discouraged because what does King Joash see? I, if he's by the bedside of Elisha, he sees a dying prophet. It's very, it's very easy for us to focus on what's dying in our life, is it not? And it goes back to our discussion on discouragement later on, even yesterday. It's very easy to focus on the elements of our life that are changing that we wish somehow we could slow time down or at least we could stop the process of whatever's going on. But what does Elisha do? Elisha draws his eyes off of himself and he says, let's open the window and see where victory is going to be gained. There's a, another Southern Gospel song 
Uh, I used to listen to a guy named Kirk Talley, and he had a song that went, Look, look up high. What's that I see in the eastern sky? Could it be the coming of the Son of Man? Could it be the making of his master plan? Look up, look up high. And then it goes on to say, This could very well be the day that the church will be called away. I think how often we as believers so are focused on what is dying and we try to preserve what is dying rather than where God wants us to march in victory. I think of this in our local churches, our local assemblies, our gatherings, how often we can get discouraged and try to preserve something which is dying And why is it dying? It's dying because we're not opening the window and seeing the victory that's already been won, that's already been promised. And he says, live in victory. Don't try to preserve the dying. It's a very different focus. And I don't say, like, don't take care of the things that remain. When you read the letters to the churches in Revelation, you see very clearly we are to take care of the things that remain. Yes, but this is not the same point. The point being is the greatest, I believe, the greatest uh, asset to the church, the greatest health invigorator, that's bad language, I don't know how to say it better though, the greatest invigoration that the church can receive is obedience to the word of God. It's proactivity. It's not just let's block everything from the outside to somehow keep our our, our, uh, membership, our congregation intact. No, it's going to all the world and make disciples to teach them, to baptize them, to teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. In other words, as believers in Christ, we're not a holy huddle, but rather what are we? We are salt. We are light. We are a letter being read by all men. We are the fragrance of Jesus Christ. We are ambassadors as though God were pleading through us, be reconciled to God, because He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. See the victory that's before us. Are you staring at a wall right now when God wants you to open the window? When He wants you to see what He's doing? We're invited into something so thrilling and exciting. But I'll tell you, when you sit at the bed of a dying prophet, it can be kind of sad. We can get kind of down. But I love the words that God speaks through Elisha. He doesn't say, oh, mourn for me. He doesn't draw any attention to himself. But rather, he reminds that there's a bigger picture. But then I have to ask another question. And this question is really going to lead us into our final point, which, uh, which we're going to end on, and it's going to tie everything together. In fact, I wasn't planning on it, but I'm just going to end in Genesis 18, um, just for fun, because it all fits together so perfectly, and I believe you're just getting one message this morning, just the Holy Spirit's using multiple people for it. But before I bring up this final point, allow me to give you a little illustration to see the difference. There, uh, I've, got, I've got a little daughter, and I don't, I don't know what she's good at yet. I don't know what she's passionate about yet. I mean, she's passionate about crying and eating and, uh, and smiling. She's really like Elf. Smiling's her favorite. It, it truly is, and I'm excited about that. But, um, but I'm looking forward to seeing the things that she's just good at. 
I'm looking forward to seeing the things that make her excited about the day. Well, I'll tell you, in my life, there are, well, let me first start on this flip side. You know, when she starts to crawl, she has not yet, she's three months, but when she starts to crawl, I know that she's not going to be perfect at, it at the beginning, and certainly when she starts to pull up and try to stand on her own, she's going to fall. And then, like, when she tries to start walking, I'm sure that there'll be many moments where she lands on her face. But am I going to say, man, you're just, that's just not your thing. Just give up on walking, let's try something else. <laughs> no! Why? We're going to persevere. There's going to come a day where she does walk. This guy, when, when she starts to run and she trips over her little uh, pudgy legs, I'm not going to say, oh, don't try running again. We're, we're done with that one. No, there's going to come a day where she can run. There are certain things in life where when we fall, we never say, you're done with that. We say, get up and do it again. Because eventually those, there's going to be success. It's just never even in our minds as parents to say, uh, just give up on walking. But then there's other things in life. For instance, me and the piano. I exaggerate nothing in this story. I can find middle C today, but that's not impressive because I had four piano teachers. Four. Four piano teachers in about a decade of piano. And like I said, I can find middle C. I wish I could say I can do more than that. Truly, and I speak the truth, I cannot play one song except Amazing Grace with one finger and just C and upward, right? I don't even know what that's called, but upward. <laughs> um, dun, 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 dun. Okay, that's it. Katie, I mean, like, a great investment. There came a day where my parents lovingly said, maybe the piano's not for you. And I said, Amen. <laughs> It wasn't a matter of walking and keep doing it until you get it. It was just, that's not working. I, another illustration, I studied many languages in my life, and uh, I'm, I'm ashamed to say this, like, but Arabic was one of those languages that just killed me. Um, I mean, I, I, I was able to get around in it, but it was never a language I was just like, comfortable in. And I remember one day just being so frustrated. It's like 13 different verb conjugations. And, and one day I was just so frustrated. I just told my friends in Cairo, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm done conjugating verbs. I'm just going to give you the root form and you conjugate it based on what you think is happening. Uh, and it was like, and they thought I was joking, but that's what I started doing. I was just like, boom, like talk. Like, Who's walking? Where are they walking? Who, you know, to whom are you speaking right now? Like it was confusing, but I was just like, wow, this did not come. I was like, after two years, I was like, I'm so tired of conjugating. Now the Lord did give some more grace, but uh, to try, but I'll tell you, it never really came and I worked hard on that language. Praise God, I worked among French-speaking folks, and I did speak French fluently, so I still was able to communicate. But my point being is there's a difference between failing in things that are not failing, but let's say stopping in things that you recognize you just don't have in you versus stopping in things that are going to succeed. Okay, keep that in mind, those two different styles. I'm not going to tell my daughter, stop walking when she falls 50 times. She's going to learn to walk. Here's the problem spiritually. I'm about to show you in this passage an example of what I just illustrated. And I want to suggest to us as believers in Christ that we were not stuck, but instead we stopped 
when it came to obeying the Word of God in some area of our life. We grew discouraged, and somewhere along the journey, we completely stopped. But we thought we were stuck. In other words, it was going to work. You were like a baby walking, not me playing the piano. But for whatever reason, something hindered. Now watch, watch this happen. It's going to come out in the passage extremely clearly here. Now I'm going to read this in a weird way, and I want you to follow along, because I want you to kind of like think of it as point A, point B, point A, point B, okay? So watch what happens here. This is very clear. Elisha is speaking. He says, take a bow. So what does Joash do? Takes a bow. He says, draw it. So Joash draws it. Then he says, open the window. So Joash opens the window. Elisha says, shoot. So Joash shoots. Then he says, strike the ground. And Joash strikes the ground three times. And then Joash stops. Okay, hang on a second. We had A, B, A, B, A, B, A, B, A, B, A, B, B. Did you guys catch that? We have take the bow. He takes the bow. Draw the bow, draw the bow. Shoot the bow, shoot the bow. With open the window, open the window. And they says strike the ground. He strikes the ground. And then Joash stops. What's missing in this whole thing? Elisha never said stop. I wonder in our life, is there somewhere where we stopped praying about someone? We stopped doing door to door when God clearly led you to? We stopped sharing the gospel with our neighborhood? We stopped inviting certain people into our home? We stopped... Uh, being pure in a certain area of our life because we didn't see anything coming from it. We stopped something which clearly lined up with the Word of God, and at no point did God ever say stop. The only reason we stopped was because we did not see the result we thought we would see. I'm going to guess almost everyone here is in this category. And let me ask you, where in the Word of God did it say, when you don't see the result you want to see, you stop? Where? Show me! Please, I believe we live in a church that was never stuck. We just stopped. We gave up. We, we did not apply 1 Corinthians 15.58 where Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, what's the therefore? Jesus is coming back. Your dead body's going to be raised. Death has no sting. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I plead with you, if you have stopped... When God did not say stop, as you go home from Yosemite, go back to where you stopped and get going again. You may have stopped 15 years ago, and you know already what you stopped with. You may have gotten off your knees in your prayer closet because you didn't see what you were looking for. Get back in that prayer closet and camp out until God says stop. I believe the reason we see so little power oftentimes in our life, it's not because we're stuck, it's because we gave up. 
Elisha, the very end of his life, what does he say? Strike the ground. Well, he shot one arrow. A quiver holds six or seven arrows. He strikes, so he shoots one arrow, and then he strikes the ground three times. That's four arrows. So it only makes sense that Elisha says you should have struck five or six times. You should have used up all the arrows you had. You should have had nothing left in the tank. Do you remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15? He says, I will gladly spend and be spent for the sake of your souls. I believe all of us are spending. But who here is being spent? When you breathe your last breath, do you have anything left to give before that? I pray that you will use up everything you have for the sake of the kingdom of God. You will use all the resources God gave you for the sake of his glory. You'll use all the energy, all the time, all the relationships. I speak to myself. You're not stuck. You're not stuck. You're not me playing the piano. You're my baby learning to walk. Get up. Get up and go. You stopped. God didn't fail. He didn't meet your expectations, but he never said he would. Keep going. I'm about now to read you one of the saddest things in Scripture, and these are the last words of Elisha. I want these words to echo in our mind as we go home, not as an insult, not because we want to end on something negative. We want to end on truth. How does Elisha end his verbal life? Listen to this. I'm going to just read part of the verse. You can see where it's from. Verse 19. The man of God was angry with him. Imagine if Elisha had stopped after three negative statements back in chapter 2 of 2 Kings. We wouldn't have had this story, would we? We wouldn't have this example of a faithful man. He went all the way until Elijah said, what do you want? He was angry, and here's what he said. Are you ready? You should have, then you would have. You should have, then you would have. I'm going to say it a lot more times. You should have, fill in the blank. Then you would have, fill in the blank. You should have kept praying then you would have seen, fill in the blank. You should have kept visiting that friend that seemed to not care. Then you would have, fill in the blank. You should have, then you would have. These words are not fun to hear. But I got good news for you. You're still breathing. The question is not, what should you have done? The question is, what will you do? How will you respond today to the word of God? How will you respond to the things that you've heard this week? How are you going to respond to the spirit versus the flesh? You should have. Then you would have. But if you don't, you won't. What's it going to be? We all have a serious decision to make as we get up and leave this place. We're not talking pennies, nickels, and dimes. We're talking souls, souls, souls. 
We're talking glory of God. We're talking eternal repercussions. You should have. Then you would have. But if you don't, you won't. I want you to turn back to Genesis 18. As you go back to Genesis 18, what did we see in this uh, 2 Kings 13? What's the very next thing that happens? It says, so Elisha died and was buried. Let me just say it like this. The window closed. The opportunity was done. The final words were spoken by this prophet. And that's the sobering aspect. I don't know when your Elisha is going to die. I don't know when your opportunity is going to end. And that's why I plead with you. Use the time God's given you. L- let me quote what Warren said in this last, last message. And I just want you to see the cohesiveness of the thoughts from Genesis 18. He said, God wants you to keep on knocking He wants you to keep on interceding. Are you storming the throne? Are you still knocking? Knock and the door shall be opened to you. Seek and you shall find. What do we see though back in Genesis 18? And this is really where I want to close because I'm going to close on the gospel. I'm going to close on our responsibility in sharing it. I don't need to reiterate the story, rehash the story. You just heard it. But picking up at the end of chapter 18, that whole interaction between Abraham and Lot, or Abraham, I'm sorry, Abraham and the Lord, but concerning Lot and Sodom, it it sends shivers down my spine because I want you to think about something. And, and, And Warren already alluded to this, so I'm really not giving you anything different. I'm just clarifying one aspect that I want us to end on. As Abraham negotiated of sorts with the Lord, first of all, he made a very interesting point. Abraham brought in an aspect of the gospel that up until this point, I don't think had been very clearly shown, but Abraham saw it already in his heart, and that's the place of of substitution or uh, or more like, um, there's a better word for it, uh, taking the place, uh, the righteousness of one person taking the place of another. Because what's he saying? He's saying, well, if, if there are 50 righteous, will you save the whole place? Well, there's a lot of unrighteous. But are they going to be saved for 50? Yes, they will. Okay, that's good. And so then what does he do? He starts to discuss and he says, well, what about 45? What about 40? What about 30? What about 20? What about 10? And Warren already alluded to it saying, I think the Lord would have gone down lower. I want to suggest to you, based on the character of God, Abraham was getting so close to what God actually wanted there, but Abraham actually stopped short of the heart of God. And here's why. According to the scriptures, there was one righteous person in Sodom. One. Now, I don't know why he's called righteous. I mean, I do, but I don't. (laughs) But yet Peter later on calls him righteous, that righteous man Lot. So let me say it like this. There was one righteous man in Sodom. So if Abraham had finished his conversation and had gone all the way down and said, Lord, I have one final question for you. 
One. Will you save that wicked city from destruction on behalf of one righteous person? I actually have, I, and I could be wrong, but I don't have any doubt, even if I am wrong, I have no doubt in my mind that the Lord would have said, absolutely. Why? Because that's exactly what he's done for us. We're all in the Sodom of wickedness of this world. And what do we learn in Romans 5? One righteous man for the rest of us. By his righteousness, we are made righteous. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And you know what I think about, uh, about Abraham? I say, Abraham, why did you stop? Why did you stop? Keep going. Don't stop it. Don't stop at 20. Don't stop at 10. Don't, don't go to five. There aren't five. There's one. And the same is true today. There's still only one. There's still only one that can save us from destruction. And my friends, for one final time, we plead with you, if you've never been reconciled to God, there's still only one righteous that makes it possible. And that's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He loves you. He wants you his forever. And if you do belong to Christ, my plea for you is this. Don't stop. Don't stop. You're not stuck. The world wants to convince you you're stuck, but you're not stuck. Jesus Christ is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm on the winning team. There's going to come a day where I breathe my last, I die, but the story doesn't end. In fact, it goes on until it's finished. And then it's forever with the Lord. Beloved, be encouraged. You're taking home many thoughts. But let all those thoughts channel your heart to the person of Jesus Christ. And remember, he's the one that promised and he's the one that will do it. His promises are yes and amen. And there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that he has the last word. So will we invest in what matters? The third question and the question I end on is this. Have you stopped? Or I should, I, l l let me phrase it a little differently the way I actually wrote it originally here. Are we stuck or did we simply stop? Are we stuck or did we simply stop? And where in your life as you go home from here is God saying to you, get up, get the arrows that remain, and start striking the ground again. Because I've asked one thing of you, faithfulness. It is required in a steward that a man be found faithful. It doesn't matter what you see with your earthly eyes. The Lord wins the battle. Keep striking. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's true. I thank you that it's living. And Lord, as we just uh, end this week, we realize that we are called to, we're called to live a faithful life. We're called to live a life where you get the glory. 
We're called to live a life where our eyes are focused on you and not focused on the world around us. We're called to seize the moments you give us. We're called to see the victory. And that third thing, Lord, we're called to set our mind, set our mind on things above. Lord, I pray that we would set our mind. I pray that we would not uh, just be wavering with the different opinions of this world or why something will never work. But rather, Lord, I pray that you would embed in us the reality that it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. That life's trials will seem so small when we see him. That reality, that one look on the dear face of my Savior, all sorrows will erase. So, Father, help us to bravely run the race until we see Christ. Convict us where we've stopped when you've said keep going. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.